Hello, and welcome to the Old Soul Archaeology Podcast. My name is Michelle Janae. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Are you ready to dig deep? Hello, and welcome to Point of Departure. My name is Michelle Janae with Old Soul Archaeology. Today's topic is the elephant in the room. And we'll expand on that idea with the parable, the blind men and the elephant. Today, the elephant in the room is spirituality and inclusive topics. The expression elephant in the room is a metaphorical idiom used to describe an important or enormous topic, question, or controversial issue that is obvious or that everyone knows about but no one mentions or wants to discuss because it makes at least some of them uncomfortable or is personally, socially, or politically embarrassing, controversial, inflammatory, or dangerous. It's based on the idea or thought that something as conspicuous as an elephant can appear to be overlooked in typical social interactions, and that the poor elephant or topic is subject to overt and large-scale repression. Now, it's interesting that in this modern world where we, by and large, experience freedom of religion and freedom of speech, that this elephant in the room would be so prominent. So again, I want to say the elephant in the room is spirituality, described in large terms. And I'll get into that a little more specifically as we go along. But this spirituality, which manifests in many different forms based on personal experience. As illustrated in the Indian parable, The Blind Men and the Elephant, spirituality is a beast of a topic but one that is often delivered piecemeal based on different interpretations. So let's explore the parable for a moment. A group of blind men heard that a strange animal, called an elephant, had been brought to the town, but none of them were aware of its shape and form. Out of curiosity, they said, we must inspect and know it by touch, of which we are capable. So they sought it out, and when they found it, they groped about it. The first person, whose hand landed on the trunk, said, This being is like a thick snake. For another one whose hand reached its ear, it seemed like a kind of fan. As for another person whose hand was upon its leg, said, The elephant is a pillar like a tree trunk. The blind man who placed his hand upon its side said the elephant is a wall. Another who felt its tail described it as a rope. The last felt its tusk, stating the elephant is that which is hard, smooth, and like a spear. This is the broad version of the parable, although it has been retold and reinterpreted in a variety of ways in different traditions. We get the idea that these blind men are curious, even learned men who truly desire to know this animal before them. It's interesting, though, that they are only willing to know it by touch, which they know themselves to be capable of. As far as spirituality is concerned, we know obviously that touch and generally our physical senses have little to do with it. So let's keep that in mind as we, as we travel down this road today on our point of departure. Anyways, as it goes, each blind man feels a different part of the elephant's body, but only one part. Then a conversation ensues as they then describe the elephant based on their limited experience and their descriptions are obviously different from each other. In some versions, they come to suspect that the other person is dishonest, and they come to blows. 
This sounds very much like a holy war to me. One of the earliest versions of the story is dated 500 years before the Common Era, but is likely older. It just goes to show you how long man has struggled with opening his mind to a reality beyond his direct education and direct experience. And we know that holy wars have existed on massive scale and even simply between brothers for as long as there has been written history. The moral of the parable is that humans have a tendency to claim absolute truth based on their limited subjective experience as they ignore other people's limited subjective experiences, which may be equally true. There's another version of this parable that offers the possibility that they stopped talking, started listening, and collaborated to see the full elephant. This is how I imagine the Academy of Ancient Greece, where learned men would come together to discuss and contemplate various topics instead of simply sitting as audience to absorb the so-called wisdom of someone else. In the Hindu Rigveda, four blind men walk into a forest where they encounter an elephant. They do not fight with each other, but come to the agreement that they must have perceived a different beast, although they experienced the same elephant. In yet a third version, a sighted man walks in and attempts to enlighten each of the blind men of the whole of the elephant. And each blind man sees that he was partially correct and partially wrong. What we need instead of these holy wars on minuscule or grand scale are a combination of these last two versions of discussion and enlightenment. As a personal example, the other day my mom and I were talking about the biblical principles of redemption and atonement. She explained her take on it as taught in most Christian churches, and I politely responded, yes, that's one interpretation. When she looked at me quizzically, I explained that in my studies of spiritual traditions and comparative religions, I had seen far too many commonalities to discount other viewpoints and pigeonhole myself into one interpretation. I was not at all denying the interpretation she shared with me, but simply accepting it as part of a larger whole. At another point, my husband was watching TV with a guest in our home. The television program that was on suggested that there were other explorers to land on the American continent before Christopher Columbus. Most of us with school-aged children have already learned of these other facts and theories, but this guest was some five decades out of traditional schooling and couldn't fathom why there might be conflicting stories. He emphatically questioned, wasn't the Columbus one good enough? Why would they want to change all the stories on us? Why would they want to hide history? Needless to say, my husband simply looked for a different program to watch. I think for some people, to accept that one version or story might not be true or entirely true really threatens to rock their world in a way they aren't ready to face. I imagine it to feel like a complete crumbling of their foundations. Now I can respect that not everyone is ready for the elephant in the room to be lit up but I think more of us are ready than ever. So back to the elephant. The parable implies that one subjective experience can be true, at least partially, however, is also limited by its failure to allow for other truths or a totality of truth. I can't recall now the book that I read that contains this story of a massive and gnarly multi-car pileup in heavy, foggy winter traffic but as I recall it, a man and his wife were driving along when they were hit from behind with massive force. At some point, I believe, they plowed into the car in front of them, although I can't remember if it was before this car hit them or as a result of it pushing them forward. 
Just when they thought it might be safe to assess the damage, they were hit from behind again as cars piled up behind them. The gist of the story is that the woman and the man had very, very different interpretations of the accident as it happened, as told to their therapist. I believe the accident was so bad they, they needed counseling to work through the trauma that they saw. Maybe the, it's the story as told to law enforcement and reporters. They were both in the same accident, but reading their accounts, you might have thought they were in completely separate cars, if not unrelated accidents. My point is, if two people married, and one might say in tune with each other, have entirely unique experiences in the same physical accident, imagine how far apart we are from each other in the realm of spirituality and spiritual experiences. What good would it have done for the husband and wife to argue over the details of this accident? What good would it have done to start what we might call a holy war? Now, what good does it do us to disagree and argue over our very subjective spiritual experiences. The trouble happens with dogma. Did you know that dogma is simply a settled opinion, a principle held as being firmly established? Were you included in the decision-making process or were you simply spoon-fed and expected, even forced to accept it? Orthodox has the same etymological root as dogma and also means what is accepted as true. And I say accepted with air quotes. I have to interject and say that dogma and orthodoxy are not simply found in religion. They are found in education and government and business, too. I believe that part of being awake is the ability to question accepted truths and not simply find them to be wrong, but perhaps partially right and partially wrong. And in this questioning that we're doing, it is important to allow for subjective truth, which means respecting another's viewpoint without complete and immediate dismissal. It might do us well to remember that at one point, orthodox thought only allowed for the belief that the earth was flat. And there have certainly been many times along the way where we have simply discounted possibilities because our, our beliefs were far too limited to accept that we might walk on the moon or we might fly through the air in an airplane or that we might go from the horse to the automobile. I could go on, but you can imagine a few of these where it seems that everything that's ever been invented has been invented. Imagine we thought that back in the 1800s and even earlier. We were far too limited to think there might be more possibilities. So it is immature to be deluded by the aspects we do understand while denying the aspects we don't understand. The mature approach is what the Jainists call anekantavada. I probably said that wrong. That's Jainist, I believe, is a, a Hindu sect. Um, but Anakandavada means many-sidedness. And I think there are many sides to spirituality. There are many sides to God. In Buddhist tradition, the Buddha compares the blind men to scholars and preachers who hold to their own viewpoints and by that nature tend to be quarrelsome to any contradictory viewpoint. Now I can say, growing up, Catholic, I've seen quite a variety of approaches to Catholicism, from very mystical to spiritual. There, were, uh, there was a Catholicism that accepts other traditions and concepts into the faith that perhaps others might not consider very biblical. In the same way, there are a multitude of Christian interpretations to the Bible. And this is what I think confounded me for so long, is that you could go to one church and get 
a take on a certain passage in the Bible and you could go to another church and get something completely different and yet they would fight over them but their their unifying point um, they would stand by was that if you weren't Christian you weren't saved and I'm just saying much in the same way that they can expand on some of their own beliefs and accept the differences maybe that's one the the idea of salvation via Christianity might be another one that can be explored um, with other possibilities. So in many ways we are all blind to this elephant in the room, again referring to the topic of spirituality. I might dare be more specific and say that we are blind to the concept of God, source, and divine. And this is something that, unlike the elephant, we cannot see. The most sacred texts state clearly that God is unknowable and yet we pontificate from particular pulpits arguing for the validity of our own place. There is a 19th century poem written by John Godfrey Sachs called The Blind Men and the Elephant that is entertaining and enlightening. The first and last stanzas are particularly instructional. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp, to me tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most, deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. So oft in theologic wars the disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. That last line is particularly instructional and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen now doesn't that sound like what we do with God with the spiritual experience I want to emphasize too how often it is that education from the teacher's desk or from the preacher's pulpit fuels our arguments or at a minimum our closed-mindedness and because we often don't have direct experience or don't seek it but simply allow our brains to be filled with someone else's idea of the elephant. We argue for that idea instead of allowing ourselves our own experience. And so it is with this elephant in the room. It's no wonder we don't speak of it. 
what with all the fighting and arguing going on. Speaking for myself as one who doesn't particularly like conflict, I have often not shared these thoughts with others, even when they might be very relevant and helpful. More particularly, what am I referring to when I speak of the elephant? I want to expand on this a bit because I have mentioned God and spirituality, but when speaking about the parts of the elephant, I am not speaking just of religion against religion, Christianity versus Judaism versus Islam, for example, or of spiritual tradition versus spiritual tradition, like Buddhism versus Hinduism versus Tantrism, or of indigenous practice versus indigenous practice, the Lakota versus the Cherokee versus the Aztec versus the Mayan, and that's just on the North American continent. And then there are the regional spiritualities that we find. Druidism, Norse Asatru, Wicca, just to name a few. In my studies, I have found that there is so much wisdom in all of these religions, traditions, and spiritualities that we are blind to, that we miss out on because of dogma and orthodoxy. And it's not just the Christian faiths that are blind. We can be equally blind from any of those traditions if we fail to open our minds. What if freedom of religion meant not only our right to worship as we believe, but the freedom to break the chains of what other people told us we needed to believe? What if it also allows for the open discussion of ideas seemingly contradictory to the ones we espouse to believe? The elephant in the room is the fact that people everywhere are opening their minds to possibilities beyond what they were taught. What they were taught isn't feeding them in ways to meet the modern world. There is more depression, racism, inequality, financial stress, and relationship breaks of all kinds, much of it because we don't have an expanded toolbox for addressing these realities. People everywhere are, however, expanding their toolboxes by exploring things like shamanic journeying, Akashic records, past life regression, rebirthing, alien influence, angelic guidance, magic, spirit animals, mediumship, psychic gifts, alternative views of the afterlife, just to mention a few. And for the most part, they don't have anyone to talk to about it, save for a few private groups, virtual or otherwise. I'm finding that some of the people I'm meeting to interview on my podcast, I might not even know based on what I see peripherally on Facebook, that they have knowledge interest, and very genuine experiences in all of these areas. And it's fascinating to me, and I think that's why I termed it the elephant in the room, because we are waking up, but it's still very dark in general conversations. We still can't discuss the elephant in the room. The consensual reality would like for us to leave the light off, keep our blindfolds on, remain blind, or at the very least, very, very quiet, if not silent. The message is, don't challenge the status quo. It's true, though, that people are talking about these things. But because they've been assigned terms like New Age and fringe concepts and fantasies, where they are beginning to be accepted, and evil and unacceptable where they aren't being accepted at all, it can be difficult to know how to approach these topics with our friends and family. I have had some interesting experiences and discoveries of my own over the last few years which have given me great comfort. Experiences in the way of synchronicities, unexplainable access to information, otherworldly and oracular guidance, and of course with these expanded viewpoints. 
And while I don't necessarily agree with or assimilate everything discussed on this podcast with my guests, it is my goal to open my mind and those of others to the exploration of such things. I'm ready to walk around the elephant and see a little bit more than just the piece that I've been given. Now I am not at all dismissing traditional religion. I know many people who find great comfort, often literal, life-saving comfort in these traditions. While I myself had an aversion to them for quite a while based on some chauvinistic treatment I received, I have come back around to accepting this as part of the elephant. For quite some time, I was stuck on a threshold between the conservative Catholic and Christian faiths I had been brought up in and now wanted no part of, and a burgeoning curiosity about other spiritual traditions which I had been taught were taboo. I'm glad to say I have finally been able to place one foot on the one side and one foot on the other and feel like there is no conflict. Speaking of taboo, here is another etymological secret for you. We are taught that taboo means forbidden, and that is the sense that I used just now, but it actually means sacred. How's that for a mind bender? I won't get into the etymological transition of the word here, but consider for a moment how much of what we've been told is untrue and profane might actually be the reverse. I could also unpack the etymology of profane and bend your mind a bit more, but again, I am not going to do that here and now. Just know that there is a book coming sooner or later. In a future podcast, I will be discussing the role of imagination and how it too has been largely dismissed, but is one of our greatest tools in spiritual exploration and self-discovery, certainly in our connection with the divine. I want to end the podcast today by pointing out that there is an elephant in the room and that many of us have only experienced a small part of the elephant. I want to encourage you to, to explore and find people to share these topics with so that we can take the collective blinders off or at least raise the light dimmer a little bit. I also want to end with a little humor. Two elephant jokes related to this parable. The first is, in the title cartoon of one of his books, cartoonist Sam Gross postulated that one of the blind men encountering a pile of the elephant feces concluded that an elephant is soft and mushy. Give that some thought for just a moment. <laughs> there is another joke that inverts the story in the following way. Six blind elephants were discussing what men were like. After arguing, they decided to find one and determine what it was like by direct experience. The first blind elephant felt the man and declared, men are flat. After the other blind elephants felt the man, they agreed. The moral of the story is we have to remember that what we observe is not nature in itself, but nature exposed to our method of questioning. And this is a quote by Warner Heisenberg. Let us not be flat, my old soul, and let us be careful of the soft and mushy stuff that we've encountered. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Point of Departure brought to you by Old Soul Archaeology. I am Michelle Janae. See you next time.